episode one of True Detective Night Country is over, but here on Post Show Recaps, we are just getting started. My name is Grace, and we are here to do a deep dive on episode one. Of course, I'm not alone. I'm here with Jess Sterling. Jess, how are you doing? I'm really excited to talk about this episode because it has everything, and it's snowing here today, so it feels like even more appropriate that I should be talking about this episode of True Detective. Yeah, cold swell, uh, at least uh, in an area where a lot of us uh, are across Canada as well. Um, so it's perfect for True Detective Night Country. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a chilly episode. Chilled me to my bones. Jen. Yeah, one could say mm-hmm. uh, she's awake. And by she, I mean me. Yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay up because it's so cold. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, well, uh, Dr. Amanda and I, we, we were awake. We stayed up late to, to recap uh, episode one. So if you haven't uh, checked that out, you can go and do it. We're also on YouTube, and we're going to be here on YouTube as well, pushrecaps.com or youtube.com slash post show recaps. And then make sure you're subscribed because we have so many podcasts per week talking about true detective night country. So post recaps.com slash true detective. We, as I said, Amanda and I will be recapping the episodes right after you and I are doing a deep dive Jess, And then Mike Bloom and Latanya Starks are doing a versus pot of true detective season one versus uh, season four. And I think, you know, only one episode out of season four, but stiff competition, I think for season one. Arguably the best season of the show. Yeah, season one, people love, and it was kind of the thing that took the internet by storm, you know, when it originally came out. However, I do think there are faults to season one that season four is, you know, kind of, in my opinion, not not that I'm on the Versus podcast, but it does feel like season four has so many more women (laughs) and, like, female characters. Yeah, that's a category each week. Season four is going to crush it. Most women. <laughs> yes. And I know people love the Louisiana setting of season one, but yeah. like there is something about the Alaskan like winter atmosphere that I am digging about this show. Yeah. I think those Arctic, they were digging. The Arctic researchers were digging as well. So yeah. They're all digging so well for them though. <laughs> Just some of them, it seems like. I think I only saw three hits. So I think I saw yeah. three bodies. Yeah. yeah, and three, and we're looking for eight. So that's five know. math. We do math, math here. Missing a <laughs> we do uh, do math. All right. So Amanda and I recapped uh, the episode. Give a bit of a plot recap. I don't think we need to do the the recap here. I think we should just dive into it. Which is, I want to know first of all what you thought of episode. You talked about that you you liked it. You you dug it. But mm-hmm. what in particular was it that you liked about episode one? Something I liked about this episode that I don't think there was as much of in like the earlier seasons, the other seasons of the show is just like the supernatural stuff that's going on here. Um, I talk a lot on the Yellow Jackets podcast about how I really enjoy when a show is able to kind of walk that line of is it supernatural or is it, you know, spiritualism or just you're seeing something, right? There's something in the water, which we'll get into that. Uh but I love that they're doing that on this show. And I like that it's not super clear. And yet we are still grounded in the reality of there's eight people missing. And there's also a uh, a Native American person missing. You know what I mean? An indigenous person has been missing for years and years and years. And kind of how those two cases may tie together. I thought they did a really good job at set, not only setting the scene, setting up who our characters are. Um, I did watch the episode twice. I will say, like, it there are a lot of characters being introduced in this episode. So it did take me until the second watch to like fully grasp who everyone is. But I really was impressed. Yeah, I'm the same. I gave my my feedback, but I thought it, the the thing I keep coming back to is how well balanced it is. There's so much um entertaining 
information and, and scenes that are happening at the forefront. And then there's all of these little things that are sprinkled throughout that I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. I want to figure out that. I want to Google that. So I think uh, the balance here worked really well in episode one. And I think we should, you know, this is about, these are our deep dives. This is where we're going to really try to like figure out. And I, I'll say this, like this pod, you know, I, I hope I want as many people to listen to it as possible. But if you're someone who like, we, we might stumble upon the answer uh, here. It may, you, it's yeah. possible. Yes. Yeah. We could accidentally be correct. Yeah. And then we're spoiling the show for you. So apologies. So, you know, uh, enter, enter at your own risk. Um, but Let's talk about, I think, the inciting incident, which is these eight um, people, these eight men at the research station, Tassala uh, research station, they go missing. They And we see the the thing that potentially leads to them going missing, which is this man coming back seemingly from being outside, or he's shaking or shivering, or maybe he's convulsing, and he says she's awake. And then, um, yes, they've all been reported missing. No cars have gone. Everything is like in its right. place. Like the sandwich that was made is left there. The TV is on, et cetera, et cetera. This so, isn't a planned leave. Like everything seems to be in order. It looks like they just stepped out for five minutes. Like they're all their phones are there. There's yeah. nothing missing, which is very strange, right? That ha must feel very eerie as people who you know, carry our cell phones on us at all times. And like, usually there's evidence of us leaving on a trip. If we're going anywhere for eight people to just go missing, poof, gone in, in the Arctic where there's nowhere else to really go as well, exactly. as opposed to in a city where, you know, they you, maybe they did leave and go, you know, so, you know, to a yeah. club or, you know, not, I don't know, but uh, not the case here. So I asked Jess, what do you think is what's going on? What do you think? What, what, who's she, wherever you want to start, what happened? Yeah, so we have, we found three frozen bodies. That's what we know. We know that three frozen bodies have been discovered. Yeah. Um, what I will say, and I will like credit, I, I read a couple of these theories online on Reddit. Uh, that baby is canceled. It's <laughs> one of the usernames. Oh. It's very uh -huh. funny. Um, where they said, that like it's they think it is there is a contamination in the in the supply in the water supply i think like these are researchers they're out in the arctic there there's like a lot of biologists and you know environmental chemists chemists and biophysicists and all these things and i think there's something going on in the water specifically what i think is going to tie these two cases together is we know that annie k um the indigenous woman who went who was killed a number of years ago, we know that she was an activist against mm -hmm. these mines. And so in my mind, I think that like it all ties. You own together. a mine? Yeah. In my mind. In your no, mind. Can you imagine? Never. I've wow. never owned a mine. Just saying. Wow. Um, Just but I think that there's something going on with the mines, like chemically altering water, causing, causing hallucinations and I think that is there was something that got into whatever maybe the, the scientists were drinking or something. I think they had some sort of like group hallucination. Now, that is very firmly rooted in like the realist side. Right, Grace? Like this is not that to me is not as much supernatural. I really feel the like the we are all dead on the whiteboard. That felt to me more like existential dread than it did like. There's something coming for us right now. Like it felt more like, you know, the world is going to heat up and die because we've been treating it so poorly. Yeah. So I think this 
puts us very much in the right headspace for where we, we could be going. There's a piece of, of information in the episode that regards water, which is Brian says the water has been turned off for, or the water's been banned for days. I can't, I'd have to go back and look. I should have rewatched it. Um, but essentially the water is no, is no good, which is absolutely a thing that happens. Um, uh, Flint, Michigan. Indigenous... I mean, seriously, you know, yeah. like, yeah, it's also it's a it's a huge epidemic in in uh, in Canada as well in terms of indigenous people not having access uh, to drinking water. Um, and so but I do I do think that that um, that tracks a little bit that there's this mine that Annie's brother works at that um, she was protesting it being there. These scientists are, you know, what they said is they're digging up snow, these like capsules that are kept in the freezer are the snow that's being dug up. And, you know, I, th I think that the, the drinking water, the, the mine contaminating sort of wherever the water comes from in the Arctic, I think to, to cause these people to hallucinate. So basically anybody who is currently having some sort of hallucination, which, and to be fair, we're only seeing certain characters, but we know certainly Liz uh, wakes up and here she's awake um, uh, uh, Navarro hears that. And then also, uh, obviously Rose seems to be having some sort of hallucination. And then, and then at least one of the guys from the Arctic research station. So this does feel like there's, there's, there's some there, there, whether or not this is exactly right of what's happening, but it does feel pretty good. And I think, you know, Alex in the discord and Alex who joined us, uh, when we were live for the premiere, we'll be live for the premiere and the finale was saying they actually didn't love the supernatural stuff, but what I kind of like about this, I feel like a lot of times some of these shows as you're going along, like every, nobody believes in the supernatural stuff and you slowly start to get like more of its seat. It's like, Oh my God, it's a possibility. And then maybe it is, or it is not that thing. And this seems to be firmly for me, potentially the opposite where other than Liz is somebody who keeps like making fun of Navarro for believing in sort of like spirit animals, yes. you, you know, supernatural stuff. And over the course of this thing, as there's a lot of signs pointing to like Rose having a vision of Travis, that like people might be like, oh my God, there's something supernatural going on. Potentially Navarro, the one who's like being made fun of for, for believing in it, consistently being like, well, no, actually like there's a real thing going on. There's a real, there's real discrimination yeah. race. You know, this thing is happening. We need to investigate it. And over the course of the episode, we'll actually find out how a lot of the things that seem supernatural have an explanation like hallucinations potentially being from, from drinking water, contaminated drinking water. Yeah. And I'm not saying I think that might, that that's like the end all be all right of the entire season, that that's going to be the answer. But I do think that there's something to it, considering we have a mine, we have a protester who died uh, seemingly because of her protesting and beliefs and against the, and not only that, but her, you know, her color of her skin and all of that, her nationality. Um, but it, it does, it, it feels a little bit too perfect for me to not have some sort of influence in everything. And I would like it if it was, you know, I'm a big fan of the leftovers style of show where it's let the mystery be. I don't need answers to all the questions as long as it makes sense ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think where, where the supernatural pinging is going off in my brain more so is when we have people saying the same exact phrases, at, like they don't, they're not connected to each other really, right? They're all saying it separately. We have the researcher is the first one to say she's awake, power goes out, they're gone. And then we have Danvers, she is asleep, having some sort of like 
don't know if it's a nightmare. I don't know if it's a memory um, from some, it sounds like a young boy named Holden. I'm wondering if that possibly was like her son. And uh, then as she wakes up, she hears she's awake. And then Navarro hears it while she's driving before encountering this one-eyed polar bear, which obviously we're also going to talk about. But yeah. it's the fact that we hear the same phrase. And I, I can't help but think she's awake, right? We're using she, her pronouns to me, which I, I think that matters. I think it stands out. And in my head, the first thing I think of when I think she's awake is like mother nature, like you've angered her, you mm. know, like that's what I think of as you, she being all of mother nature, who knows if that's true, but that's like the first thing that pinged in my head when I heard that phrase. Yeah, I mean, that that does make sense. And I think that ties in with the idea that, you know, the we are all dead. That could be one of the Arctic research people being some sort of like whistleblower. That could be a protester who found their way in to the thing, writing on the thing like we are all dead in terms of they are not doing enough. I, I think the other piece to this story that um, uh, I think is important is there are sort of these you know, the the story of missing and burned indigenous women is mostly about how these so indigenous women are. I, I talked about this on the on the recap pod um, anywhere from six to, you know, 16 times more likely to be victims of, mm -hmm. of homicide. Um, those are some Canadian statistics. It's, it's much like when I say six, that's like. Canada wide 16 can be in some of the territories. And that's obviously um, similar to the situation where, where, where the story is set in Alaska. And that happens because of, you know, there's many instances where people are killed by people they know who are also indigenous people that that is a system of like uh, Canada has a history of residential schools that they took kids and abused them as children. There's obviously like post-traumatic stress that comes from these things. This is because, um, police force and institutions care, you know, have institutional racism in which there are like Annie says, or uh, sorry, like um, uh, Navarro says in this episode, like if, if this was a white woman who was killed beaten after she died, her tongue taken out, um, there would have been more resources and I would have been, we would have been able to solve the case. Like we would have figured out what happened. Right. And so that's what happened. And so I think that this story to some degree has to be about figuring out that in this town in NS, which Danvers says, it's it's Ennis that killed her, um, which I think is like sort of, you know, absolving guilt of like, you know, this institution 100%. that maybe Danvers doesn't want to, to, to yeah. you know, com uh, make complicit. But I think it has to be a story somewhat about the institutional barriers that are happening to these indigenous people. So if the mine is contaminating the drinking water, um, what cover-up has there been about that? Uh, what what potential cover-up was there about somebody who knew, like my thing I go uh, to is, I, I think there's a lot of potential that, that Hank knows who killed Annie and is choosing to cover it up for like the protection of that. Yeah. These are that this is the type of theme I think will be present in the season. I totally agree with you because I found the 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 dimensionalizing of the characters fascinating. And I thought they did a decent job at like, you know, while Danvers is one of our protagonists, she is trying to solve the crime. She's trying to help. 
um, she's also part of the problem, right? Like she says problematic things about the spirit animals, right? And she mm-hmm. not even just once, like twice. And this is someone who seemingly has, I don't know if it's her stepdaughter. I mean, it's very unclear how how her, her it's her daughter, you know. Yeah, my I, best I, bet so far is like Holden is her kid, uh, uh Leah's mom, uh, Leah's dad. Like when she moved there, they got in a relationship. So she's kind of their stepmom. It's her house. It's her stepbrother. That's the vibe at least, right? The father and the son die in the car crash. They're left together. You don't have to be my mom. We were, you know, we weren't even that together that long as a fit, you know, whatever, because it's only been six years. Right. That's my. Yes. And she moved here. Right. So, but regardless, Danvers is still not perfect in a lot of ways. And and then I think by proxy, Hank stands out even more as someone who is like really not trying to help much, right? Like he's actively impeding the investigation at certain points where he's not, he has a bunch of files at home. Why? That doesn't seem right. But he was like not really willing to hand them over. He's pretty much just constantly cracking wise at Danvers. And, and right, like she knows the thing about the mayo where he thinks, oh, it's why bother calling in search and rescue? It obviously hasn't been that long. It just seems like it at a certain point is he hindering the investigation because he has ulterior motives. Like you said, uh, I totally agree with you. I think that character is someone I have my eye on for being possibly complicit or in the know on something that happened because I, I thought the, we have a lot of interesting familial dynamics in the show. And so having his son also be on the same like force as him and not only that, but his son basically being like Dan versus like right hand. It's a really interesting dynamic. And I think further complicated by the fact that then he is is with an indigenous indigenous woman and they have a son together. So it's you know what I mean? Like they're all it's all kind of mixed in together on the yeah. show. So I, I moved away a little bit from your like who is who is she and your your idea that it's like mother nature. Um the other thing I want to do, so um uh, he is uh Peter is with uh an indigenous woman. Um it seems like mostly the indigenous people here are are um uh Inupiaq, uh sort of uh yeah, so so um indigenous people, but that's the that's their tribe. Um and so these I want to look at the one piece that I felt like was a was a thread um, to pull on and um, to do some investigating is um, Inupiaq lore, specifically when Darwin paints the picture. And Darwin paints this picture of a woman with crossed out eyes and blood coming from her hand. And you know she he says like you know this is pretty grotesque. Uh, like what is your grandma teaching him and you know teaching him about his you know lore and history. And so I this is a a thing I would like to to you know, I want to, um, explore, um, there is a story of, um, uh, of, a, a woman, a, a, a like um, Inupiaq woman, um, Kanuk Sayuka, who is like, um, uh, actually it's a young girl, Nuna, who must overcome a series of challenges, um, with the mm-hmm. help of both like the physical and spirit worlds of like Fox and, and other things to basically stop the, the village from starvation because there's mm-hmm. a storm that they can't, that is stopping them from being able to, um, to, to do that. And so it's, yeah, it's about this balance of it. So you could see how potentially, um, 
Navarro fits in the version of like the, the, the person who might be trying to save her village. Could it be somebody, you know, could it be somebody else? I don't, I don't know, but yeah, there's um, certainly as some lore that I think we could, we could, we could look into here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, I think I, I like the, having the like local legend thrown in on episode one without a ton of like, you know, they don't really d dive deep into what this is. It's just, it's a picture the kid drew and obviously um I'm so sorry. I'm blanking on his name. There's so many. Is it Peter? Peter um, Pryor. Yeah. Peter. Wow. Very. Mm -hmm. us. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Peter doesn't necessarily understand the history behind the drawing and like he thinks it's going to give Darwin nightmares so he questions it but I really like this as like a possible symbol for what's to come specifically with the character of Navarro also shout out to Callie Reese who like I thought had an incredible first episode yeah one who I mean very obviously Jodie Foster right like Jodie mm -hmm. Foster, Jody Foster it, we could sing her praises all day long but to have someone like Callie Reese come in and with not a ton of acting experience, she blew me away in this episode. I felt like it was, I knew who this character was after one episode. She's a really, she's like a little rough around the edges. She's been through some stuff. She, I thought, especially the, the scene where she's with the guy, right? She has like a very complicated uh, relationship. She has a sister who seems to struggle with like some mental health stuff, maybe schizophrenia sort of related things. Mm -hmm. Uh, who works at like some kind of bar and the owner is who she's sleeping with. He has like the SpongeBob toothbrush and everything. Yeah. Um, this is um uh, her sister is Julia and the, the man she's with is, is Eddie. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm yeah. still learning names after one. Ah, it's like, Oh my God, it's impossible. Um, yeah. But all that being said, I love the idea of this local legend being like basically being her. If it, it's a it kind of, if it'll follow one-to-one -one, that parallel um, because I think Having this character on the show is really important. She's advocating. She is the advocate for this old cold case of Annie Kay, right? And we find out that Danvers had looked through the file, but she came in after that case was already, like, set aside. And correct me if I'm wrong, Grace, but Hank, was Hank in charge when that was a thing? Yeah, so that's another piece I was going to mention earlier, and we kind of moved on from, from Hank a little bit. But I, the piece I wonder about is this episode so clearly establishes Danvers as being a very good detective. And it does establish two things about Hank, which is that he's maybe a, a rather incompetent police officer. He There's a joke that's made about the fact that he will let women, uh, this, specifically this woman, go uh, from the drunk tank because um, they are intimately uh yeah close and that he's maybe not a great dad um they didn't really like make sandwiches for his dad uh, or for his son i think uh, we don't maybe he made tons of sandwiches for his dad we don't know about uh hank Pryor senior um but i think that um i think it's interesting to note whether or not he's incompetent because if he was in charge when you know potentially before everything happened. And this could be a thing of like, was he moved down and Danvers came in and, and became above because like somebody like knew, but he's like, clearly right. you can't be in charge, but like, I'm not really going to fire you. I'm obviously not going to fire you, but I'll like make you 
of the moat. You you know, that doesn't even seem people don't really get yeah, they don't get fired a ton, especially if they're uh police officers. Let's be yeah, the, but, you know, protecting each other. So I I yeah. do wonder whether there is some notion that like at some point he was very competent. And then why did you become less competent? Well, it was maybe to protect the white people. Um, like the guy who um Navarro arrested at the beginning of the episode, who like clearly is let out of jail pretty quickly after charges are pressed for abusing this woman. He's then like within a yeah. seemingly a couple of days, like you know. Going to the booth. Yeah, and that's when Navarro yeah. like pours alcohol in his in the in the gas tank. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Love mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Uh but yeah, it's I have my eye on Hank specifically for all those reasons that you listed because the timeline to me is a little blurry on how it all went down so this is a know... big this is a big piece that amanda and i talked about too and i believe somebody in the mm -hmm. chat suggested and I, and I can't i can't remember who i'm crediting to so big apologies but the fact that it's night country and there were title cards at the beginning of the episode just that say this yes. is december 17th now this is december 20th but then we don't really get them through the rest of the episode and some of the rose and travis stuff i was like thinking like wow this could be any time this doesn't have to be now um seemingly it is now but the fact that it's going to be permanently night is going to totally distort our ability to i think to tell and they, i yeah. think they can fully play with this in terms of like we're gonna see some scenes that i think we have to keep in mind that might not be happening now yeah exactly mm -hmm. and I, I think the same goes for what we know about when the annie k case originally came across their desk right we know that navarro was on the force at that time and that she was involved in the detective work beyond the case and we know that hank was you know in charge but we don't really know was like did navarro step down as a result of that you know what we don't really know how it ended up that she is now a state trooper instead of being on like the ns police force basically i think it's afp is what the initials were yeah i think it's the alaska uh, afp alaskan force but i mean i don't know yeah and people some people were asking what the difference between a state trooper and 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 danvers's role as sort of like a police officer it does seem to be like municipality versus state. Like it seems like Navarro is a state trooper. And so there's some jokes about like, well, aren't, don't you have a moose to clear off the road? Like that's the, you know, highway yeah. patrol stuff that is under state jurisdiction versus stuff that's under municipal jurisdiction, um, which is why she's not allowed to be involved. Um, and so, yeah, she's been moved onto this, like these more like mundane um, activities. That's what she's, that's what she's dealing with. So, right. Yeah. But something that both Navarro and Danvers experience in this episode that we have to talk about is the polar bear. Because uh -huh. we see the polar bear a few different times. There's a few different polar bears. One, obviously, there's a stuffed animal in the credits. It's the same stuffed animal that Danvers finds on her bedroom floor after she wakes up from this dream where she hears that she's awake and hears, like, Holden's voice, right? Navarro nearly crashes into a magnificently sized polar bear in the middle of the street. Again, only has one eye. And I also noticed when Danvers was um, taking all of the file paper, you know, all the papers and photos and everything out of the files when she's like exploring both cases. Um, I believe it was in the researcher's uh, file folder that there was a picture of a polar bear. However, it was far enough away where I could not tell if it had the same missing eye. It looked like it kind of did, but again, it I, I couldn't tell. And I can't, I'm not a tech guru who can like enhance, enhance, enhance and, and really tell. Um, mm -hmm. So it's up to you sleuths to tell me if that's correct. But regardless, I think it's really fascinating that especially to have a stuffed animal and then the real thing show up is kind of wild. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So, also, I feel like the pole, the teddy polar bear is like a little bit like 
fragmented as well, right? Like it's, it's oh, it had it, it was missing an eye. Yeah, it's missing an eye. So this idea that um, I think this is my best bet is like that's just Holden's polar bear. Like that's was his little stuffy that he would have. Holden, who I presume to be, he was holding uh, the polar bear. Oh wow, that's good. It's good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, yeah. So the fact that, um, uh, he has, you know, that's how I think that she's connected to it. Then the polar bear coming. So I did search a little bit about like what polar bears represent dream dreams of polar bears can represent reawakenings. Um, polar bears, uh, do represent like resilience, patient and de determination, especially because mostly because they survive in harsh climates. Yeah. So the idea that, navarro needs to be like a polar bear she's the one who has the interaction with it i think uh tracks a lot like this is how many years since she's more than six years that she's been sitting wanting to figure mm -hmm. out what happened to annie and she needs to like she's been very patient she's been she's not forgotten she's determined to make sure that we figure out what happened you could see that's what Danvers is like actually these are the things that like sunk you last time when you when you done to do with annie and then the other piece too is like i think that that piece of being really resilient, being determined. This polar bear lost an eye. Like it's only, it's only yeah. seeing half the, it's only seeing half what it's supposed to see. So what are you not seeing? And also I think it's, that also represents the, like the determination to keep going. It, you're going to get, I, you know, I can't imagine that like Navarro doesn't, you know, face some sort of obstacle, somebody trying to like cut her down, stop her, potentially yeah. actually do her harm as she's getting close to figuring out what happened. And you could see yeah. like somebody, you know, trying to to injure her, take her out, hurt her, and like like the polar bear coming away with with one eye. Like if Navarro ends up in an eye patch by the end of the season, I don't know. <laughs> the hell, you know, I don't yeah. know if it's gonna be that blunt. I think that I mean, to be honest, it already feels like we have a little bit of a polar bear with one eye, where you're not because these two cases very much seem to be linked. If you're only looking at one or the other, you're only seeing half the picture. Yeah, so true. in my opinion, that's kind of already happening. And I think that's something that Navarro is like trying to stress to Danvers is these are connected. Like she, cause immediately, right. Immediately Danvers is like, it wasn't her tongue. And she's like, how do you know though? And we, I mean, not to, I'm not going to talk too much about the like sneak preview that we get. Cause I don't know if a ton of people. I haven't even her. watched that. So yeah. Well, I will just say that there is something that will link the cases again further like in the trailer so it. to me it's very much like it's very obvious i think from the first episode anyway that these cases are linked but yeah you're only seeing half the story if you're only looking at one of these cases you're doing a disservice to both cases to not attempt to find a link between them right how often do people go missing in this town it's like they they have a sign going into ennis that says the end of the world or something right like the tip of the world the edge of the world like I can't imagine they're getting a ton of people coming into town and leaving. So I don't, you know, it seems like this sort of disappearance or murder would be pretty rare in this town. Uh, and when you have the tongue of an indigenous woman hanging out on the floor where eight people are missing and you know that there was a body six years ago that of an indigenous woman missing her tongue, you, you have to connect the pieces together. Yeah. 
Um, so there's a few things uh, in the episode that are linked to season one of this show. And I we're, we will not be spoiling season one in case you came in here hoping for, you know, the anthology experience. And maybe you just hopped in for season four. But I do think they I, I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on this. So the title card at the beginning of the episode, the quote that we get, which is uh, for we do not know what beast the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. Um, that immediately precedes the caribou hunters, which I feel like that is something like they can recognize that something is awake and they run like the polar bear coming into town potentially too. like, does it know something, you know, she is awake. But um, that line is uh, from uh, from one story in the Yellow King. The Yellow King being something I believe they're reading it in season one, right? So it's a uh, it's it's part of the sort of lore of season one. Um, the other piece here is uh, I was totally wrong that that Travis is not Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> I thought he was. I guess I was wrong that it yeah that he that he is Christopher Eccleston in, in the sense that I thought that was Christopher Eccleston who was dancing in the. In the in the yeah, it's not. uh, I will say when you put two pictures of the men side by side, they look a lot alike. So do I? You know, I you know. I mean, all white men look alike, Grace. You know, it's not your fault. That's right. But (laughs) um, I do want to note that this is uh, Rust from season one. This is his father. Um, uh, seemingly his his father was in season one. It's referenced that uh, Rust's father is named Travis, and he lives in Alaska. So there is connection. How much do you make of that? Is this fun for, is this in here to be fun for you? Because they're created by two entirely different creators. Yeah, so, worth saying that that is yeah. true. Issa, Issa Lopez is the showrunner, writer, and director. This is, it's the first season without uh, Pizzolatto as yeah. showrunner or writer. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of people who are maybe struggling with the supernatural elements, Issa Lopez is, that is what she's known for. That is what she enjoys. So that would explain a lot of the supernatural events. Um, but to your question, Honestly, I kind of think it's just like a fan servicey nod to to the to the season one, the very first season, the season that is like so beloved by people. Um, if there is a connection, uh, you know, beyond just the fact, you know, if if we get to see something more with Travis, I don't know if we're gonna get flashbacks with Rose and Travis, or we're gonna get more of Travis doing his snow dances. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, He's a good dancer. It was so fun. I was so entertained by his dancing uh-huh. and yeah. And the fact that Rose is like butchering a wolf as this is yeah. all going down too is yeah. pretty intense. It's not just, again, not a deer, you know, it's this is a freaking wolf she's butchering and she seemingly lives alone. I mean, I didn't see anybody else out there with her. I don't know, but I'm definitely interested in what's going on with, with Rose and Travis, but I don't have a ton of, I'm not putting a lot of eggs in the basket of like, it's all tied together with season one. I think it's kind of more of just a nod for the fans. Yeah, I think so too, just because it's been built as an anthology. We had two seasons in between this. I think it's fun that, you know, Fargo does this a lot of like, oh, maybe that character shows up or there's a reference to something, you know, but the idea that they're pretty separate, these are just fun Easter eggs if you're paying attention. And clearly I wasn't. And uh, uh, shout out to the folks on Twitter who were like, you were wrong. You were wrong. Uh, I actually don't mind. I really don't mind. Uh, but Jeremy, Jeremy Lanning reached out being like, that's that's Russ dad. That's, cool great and then also yeah. realizing it's it was not christopher eccleston um yeah what do you what do you make of what do you make of rose and travis what's what's <sighs> happening what's happening here so the thing i was trying to figure out is how 
what is the relationship between Rose and Travis? I don't think we found out. To me, it read as her son, possibly, um, could be a partner, I guess. We find out that he's dead, you know, like we after we see all of the, you know, the dancing in the snow and all of that, um, when she has the conversation with Navarro and, and Travis has been dead. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, are we gonna get flashbacks, I guess? Is or is it always going to be like to to you? How important does the Rose and Travis mystery feel to you in terms of the grand scheme of the whole the whole show or the you know the whole season the whole mystery? So pretty important. Except I think noticeably these are not indigenous people. These are not in you uh, uh, uh people. So the idea right. that they are connected spiritually to this is something I question how real it can be but it does feel like it will be important i think the biggest piece of information that we don't know yet that i think is important for us to be able to like start theorizing is how did travis die that's the big yes yeah because if it was mysterious if he died in the mine it you know anything was he a you know what was his job there's so much about travis that we don't know i honestly think it was like the piece of information in the episode that i think fairly i thought it was so intriguing i thought cinematography it was like is that even a word who knows but it was shot cinematographically yeah i said we're detectiving truly so what do i know about language um which i just think i think it was like it was and, and it was i thought a really good last beat to the episode so i it worked for me and i i you know i think the thing that's interesting is i do actually feel like we got a ton of stuff like our notes for this is like about two pages full of just like things we could explore and i haven't put everything in there there's a thing the thing is the dvd that's on the shelf um at home the thing if you're not unfamiliar is about basically uh, like who's who's part of the th- who is the thing yeah. infected and who's secretly not hu- not human um that feels pretty pretty topical based on like the fact that we think like who is it who is this thing which we think is contaminated drinking water who is it infecting um like there's a there's a lot there's a lot there i so, mean look at the fact yeah. that we have uh ferris bueller's day off is like playing on repeat and like what does that mean why is twist and shout the song that's playing why does danvers hate the beatles of all things you know we did there's get a, a one there was one theory about that which is does it have anything to do with the fact that in ferris bueller he is able to there is a moment in time where time stops um mm, which interesting. is interesting yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. There's so many like strings we could pull on. I do agree. I think Rose in particular is going to be extremely important given that she to to like what you said, she is not indigenous, right? She is a white woman who mm-hmm. is having these visions, seems to be connected spiritually in some way to something in order to see Travis. I thought it was interesting that she she seems to welcome the vision almost right i i, I don't think she seemed she, i i love the reaction of rose because she's just like hey travis and then she kind of tries to ignore it yeah. until like he's like come on come see. she's not very yeah. freaked come out on. right yeah. Yeah. yeah come on twist yeah. and shout baby yeah. um she's not she's not as scared as i would be in that situation which makes me think either she's really tapped in spiritually or uh and or this isn't the first time this has happened. And I definitely feel like that for sure is the case that this has happened before. And I'm interested to see conversations between her 
Danvers and Navarro about this situation because this is wild. She just randomly sees a vision of Travis who does a little dance and points her to exactly where three of the bodies are frozen in terror in the ice. Uh There's, there's something going on for sure. Yeah. So one other person we haven't really talked, we talked about the, the men who are gone and obviously Navarro's pushing for Danvers to try and connect these two cases because of the tongue leads her to look at all these photos. She, she sees the photos and the man who's wearing the coat Jess is named Raymond Clark. There is a 2011 um, real life true thing that happened where Raymond Clark was a uh, researcher who assaulted and murdered, I believe uh, a graduate student. Um, So it feels like that man's name was like, is super important in terms of like, I know that like, He's basically the first person who, in terms of like the Annie murder, that I think he's our like most suspicious because he's wearing the jacket. Yeah. But the fact that he's named Raymond Clark, who is named, it, it, it's the exact same name. And if this is a coincidence, I can't imagine this t- passes like HBO's. But like, I guess who cares? Doesn't matter. But, but that feels like a pretty big, um, Pretty big coincidence. He's a he was a, a Yale laboratory technician who murdered a doctoral student named Annie Lee. Mm. Named Annie. He killed a woman named Annie. <gasps> yeah. Oh, there's too many coincidences for that yeah. to not be. Yeah. I mean, especially because we see him wearing the coat with like a little, what is it, like a smiley face patch on it or something to cover up the 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 slice that was through it. Certainly something is suspicious here. Um yeah. <sighs> yeah. So there's a lot that that feels, you know, pretty, that feels. Like Especially something. the, in the scene where, okay, let me get this right. Someone is walking down the hallway and then suddenly a little bit of a jump scare moment where we see someone like sprinting and like going around the corner. Don't get a good shot of it. Really? Someone had kind of uh, done a still of that thing it kind of sort of possibly maybe looks like the jacket could be on the person running it's really dark so it's hard to tell i mean obviously we're in night country here but it's a little tough to tell but that i thought was kind of spooky the idea of like someone in that jacket running around you know because they couldn't find the jacket anywhere at a uh, salal's like station there yeah. the, the jacket was not there so yeah. It's either on the guy's dead body or somewhere else. Um, are you familiar with the uh, Dyatlov Pass incident? Are you familiar with this? I mean, I know that sounds like uh, I'm just pulling Mad Libs names out of I'm thin not, air here no. on this pod. Uh, the Dyatlov Pass incident happened in Russia in 1959, and these nine hikers went to go through the Dyatlov Pass, um, and they went missing. They never completed their journey, and when they were found, they were all frozen in the snow they all they were all not in their tent and when they found their tents their tents were cut from the inside so there's all of these theories about what happened um some of the bodies had also um seemed like they were injured um and like fractal skulls and chest injuries and some of them had missing eyes and and a man's tongue was missing um and so yeah, there are all of these th- theories about what happened. I think there's also there's some evidence to show that maybe some of their clothing was radioactive too, as well. So this like set off like conspiracy Alarm theory, bells, yeah. yeah, mania. But I do feel like there is some uh, connective tissue here. Um, I think that they've basically figured out that it was probably an avalanche, so they could hear they could hear the avalanche coming. They all just panic. 
they're like, who cares about the tent? Like we're going to die in an avalanche. So they just rip it open and they run out. But the idea of like them, they're being hysterics, them like, you know, how does a tongue get cut out? How does an eye get yeah. cut out from an avalanche? These are the pieces um, that were the mystery, but there's a lot of connective kind of tissue here for sure. Um, so yeah. 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 That's fascinating. And I think yeah. all of this to me, all of it plays so well together, right? Because yeah. even like the title card, right? For we do not know what beasts the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. Yeah. So darkness being a massive theme of this season, we're literally in just continuous darkness in night country up here in Alaska. And Let's be real. Like most of us, most children at some point in their lives are afraid of the dark because it's the unknown. Not me. You, never. You know, never. Never, Grace. I'm so brave. You're so, you're so strong. You're so yeah. strong, Grace. Thanks. <laughs> um, but I literally have a nightlight on. <laughs> <laughs> you're watching the video. Yeah, I have, a, like, I have a lantern so on behind me. Yeah. Um, but it's it's because it's the unknown. You don't know what is out there. And because for most people, the unknown is a very scary thing. Change is very difficult for most people. And so to kind of have that all together where the beasts, the night dreams when its hours grow too long. So it's it's the day is, you know, we've already we're so weary. It's dark. We're dreaming. We're having nightmares, nightmares, supernatural events. They all tie together so well that it's it's fascinating to me i feel like this title card is super super important just in terms of setting the tone for the season of we're going to be in darkness not only just physical darkness but like mental darkness of there are murders there are people missing we don't know who did it indigenous women are in danger right that is something that is going to be a huge massive theme of the season very obviously because we don't it's not just that Annie Kay was murdered and we didn't find her killer. It's not just that Navarro is a, one of the police people on the force and is like involved in all of this and, and trying to right the wrongs. But it's also Leah who is Danvers seemingly like, probably her stepdaughter and her not really being able to relate to Leah and Leah being on the precipice of adulthood and wanting to be able to, I'm sure explore more of her roots as well, which she's, probably not super able to do easily at home given that she's living with just Liz, who's a white woman, you know? Mm -hmm. So all of those things kind of tying together and how scary and spooky the dark is, um, let alone if you are someone who is endangered in general in the, like where you're living. Um, it's all fascinating to me. It all, I don't know that any of that made sense, but I feel like it no. all ties together. Yeah, I, I agree. I also think um, the theme song is so good. And I am not a big music person. I joked that my uh, like year end rap on my I don't I don't use Spotify because I, I pay for YouTube premium. So I get YouTube music. So I know it's kind of a, I also yeah, don't well, use Spotify. And I feel well, so embarrassed. Did you see because... today? There's a new Spotify meme that's going around that you have to have Spotify to be able to participate in the meme because they your daytime what? playlist is now it's it's like titled. So it'll be like moody horror vibes monday oh, afternoon okay and, right so it, it, it like names it like and then it, you know if you got if you're listening on tuesday it'll be like tuesday afternoon chill hangout vibes and so it names your playlist for yeah. you yeah um and it, which might i could check if there are like i think i do get some of these on on youtube where it'll be like this is your, Every, your like, everything now has its own version of like spotify wrapped yeah, i think yeah. so but these yeah, are like I, yeah, your yeah. playlist of like what you normally listen to during the day on like on a friday afternoon it, the, the algorithm knows what you normally play on a friday afternoon or whatever so like it's naming your play it's like naming a like yeah. 
listen to Friday afternoon cool vibe chills, you know, or whatever. Anyway, my hot take is um, Billie Eilish is really good at music. She's really, <laughs> she's really good. Um, she's so good, Grace. You know, I am a bad with names. Um, yeah. and B not always so great with pop culture in that. I'm aware of like what popular songs are on without knowing who sings them or any songs of a particular artist. Like if you were like, oh, what are three songs by this popular like Olivia Mm -hmm. Rodrigo or whatever? I'd be like, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. However, the moment this song started playing, I was like, is that really Eilish? Is that really Eilish? It's really good. It's It's so perfect. to. First of all, it sets the tone perfectly and we we talk about this a lot if you listen to full spoiler recaps grace and i tier rank the theme songs for shows that we watch so it is like an important like a like a scene setting right it sets the slate for what you're about to watch it's so spooky and eerie first of Mm -hmm. all sung by a woman we love to see it and it's very like what do you what do you want from me it's in my head grace i've seen the episode only twice and i know this song yeah. And then there's so there's so much evocative language. The last line is when we fall asleep, where do we go? There's a thing about stapling your tongue, step on the glass, which Danvers obviously does this episode twice, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I want to drown, like when I made these men like seemingly fall into a body of water. Like there's Cannibal a lot of class, Grace. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know, after everything that's happened with yellow jackets, yeah. I see the word cannibal and like some pew, 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 lights alarms yeah. everything going off flashing in my head mm-hmm. um that was the first thing i thought of because i know there were news stories okay this is please don't leave the podcast when i say the words i'm about to say okay there was an episode of Grey's anatomy mm-hmm. where hikers got like lost uh trying to hike up this really snowy mountain they come into the hospital all of them have frostbite one guy has like a whatever those spiky things are in his head and there's all this question of like what actually happened up there and there's tons of stories like that right of like people going missing what actually happened cannibalism tends to come up so also killing the son just saying holden was danver's son him Yeah. yeah there's a lot there's a lot in this theme song there's a yeah, I think the theme song is good. Man, there's so much that we haven't even talked. The Tasala is seemingly named after an Edgar Allan Poe, or it's a sequel. It's a it's a novel that's a sequel to an Edgar Allan Poe novel. Um, that's where the 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 main characters are named. For, uh, no, Tasala. It's an it's an island um, that's populated by um, indigenous people um, who attack people who come and visit them. There's like a I believe an, a disease that's then spread because the the white people come to the native, mm-hmm. uh, the indigenous tribe, and they expo- so like, yeah. There's like we didn't even get into that. But the thing I want to end on, Jess, is a little bit of a game. I, I think I told you about this a few months ago, so but I might be surprising you on the pod, which is I want to have a little bit of a point system to see, and the audience can play along too. Which is essentially for the course of the six weeks, at the end of each episode, you're gonna lock. We're, we're both going to do this. We're both going to lock in our best guess as to basically who murdered you know it's the and this is it's a little i was thinking that we were going to be like someone died or and people are dying and it would be like well it's probably just one victim we literally have two cases one of them which is involves eight missing men so there's a lot of ways which we'll have to like figure out how the point system of this works but basically today you can lock in a, a guess and if you keep this guess for the for the next five episodes every mm-hmm. every podcast you're gonna at the end of the season you get like six points maybe it's a different answer for each one 
Um, if you decide to change your answer next week and you say, oh, I actually think it's very clear that Danvers did it. I'm going to lock in the Danvers killed Annie for whatever reason. Well, now that that guess is worth five points. So you could stick with your gotcha. original guess, but you or you could change, but you're going to lose hmm. some points. And whoever kind of gets the most points at the end of the season wins. And I think we kind of have to do it like who killed Annie? What happened to the to the that's RT fair. I think that's fair. People. Yes, because it yeah. might not be the same answer. Yes. Um. I'm happy to go first on maybe, maybe we'll do this. Like, uh, you know, we could do Annie and then the, the other. Yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. Go first with whichever you uh, feel like it. So, I mean, there is a big character we haven't met yet, which is Christopher Eccleston. We have not met his character. He's not yet yeah. introduced. Um, but I would say there's no reason for me at this moment to not guess Raymond Clark killed Annie. And I, all, the thing I say about this too, is I actually think it would be smart of the show, and I could definitely see the logic um, behind Issa Lopez deciding there doesn't need to be a big mystery about what happened to Annie. And this it's the is, fact that nothing was ever done about it. That's the problem in the story. Yeah, correct. This is a, a theme of Killers of the Flower Moon. I thought that the book was written as this mystery suspense, not like what happened and who and we're going to figure it out. The movie comes out at the beginning of the movie is like, no, no, here's what happened. And the tragedy of this thing is that nobody did anything about it. So basically having Raymond Clark wearing her jacket in episode one and then there being this name connection, which obviously isn't like spelled out to us in the show. Yeah. I actually think it's entirely reasonable that in terms of this mystery, we will actually could know very soon that Raymond Clark killed Annie. And the, the problem is like, and he might be dead or whatever. And it's like, why did no one do anything about this? And, and then that will uncover the mystery of these eight men going missing. And I think mm -hmm. playing, and that is part of the problem is like, I think, um, and, and again, we're looking to have some people come on, uh, potentially some indigenous people um, uh, who, who can bet we are two white women talking about this, the story. So I want yeah. to acknowledge that I said this on the recap of Dr. Amanda, but I do, I could see the argument as to like, we're, Islamist does not want to glorify and mystify the death of Annie. And the, the thing that needs yeah. to be said about this, this murder is not, Oh my God, who did it? Because I think we know like there in Canada, there's a report, there's an inquiry into missing and murdered Jesus. We know they're more at risk. The problem is not like, what a surprise. It's like, why is nobody doing anything about it? Why are you not yeah. implementing the the recommendations that they've put in place? Why is that not happening? So I would put my my best guess right now on on it being Raymond. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm waffling a bit between two people. One I think is a little bit more likely than the other. I, I think one of the, the scientists is certainly a likely option. And if not Raymond Clark, my other my eye kind of goes to Anders Lund, who is the yeah. founder of of uh the Salau. Uh, I'm so sorry, the T S A L I L uh Sala. Sala, sorry. I think you maybe you don't even really say the T, I think. Yeah. Um and my other option, because we, we did talk a fair bit about him, is is Hank. However, my gut yeah. instinct with Hank is not necessarily that he did it, but that he knows something about it. Yeah. So I struggle to pick him as like a serious option. So I'm going to go with Anders Lund, the founder yeah. of um, of uh, Salal. So I don't know. Again, and gives I, the I, coat I, to Raymond. And, exactly. You know, and exactly. Yeah. And I yeah. think that the thing is, though, I, I'm in total agreement with you, Grace, on that's not the point is not the who did it but more why and like why wasn't it followed up on 
And I think the the bigger mystery piece of it is going to be what happened to the scientists. To me, yeah. that is more of the mystery of the. Yeah. Episode. And maybe we should should actually scrap who killed Annie, especially if it comes out early. Like, again, that's not really the point. So um, what about the Arctic Wars? I'll let you go first. And yeah. Episode. And I think I will try to like you just did very kindly. I will not pick the same thing you do. So I will go with something different. But in the off chance that in a future week you give it up. You're allowed a, to take it. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm allowed to take it. Um, I'm going to go with something that is, it's screaming to me in my face and I can't, I can't put it down. And I think it is a matter of some sort of environmental poisoning, uh, in, in the water, something coming like a mine runoff, right. Could be mercury causing them to lose their minds. They run outside, possibly some of them attack each other, but regardless, I think it is as a result of something biological is what I would say. I don't know how we want to word it, but like some sort of environmental uh, effect, contamination, environmental con contamination. Maybe. Okay. Good. That's why they Where all I run land. out. The piece that for me is the most unanswerable is like three of them fall into the ice and what happens to the rest. So are they out there? Are they still poisoned? But what's going to, you know, and potentially they're not yeah. even dead. Right. Um, so I'll try to pivot away. Cause I do, I do think that's the best answer. Um, I think you nailed it. At least at I, this point, you know, it's yeah. I, the, the one piece is the, we are all dead. So I am tempted to say it is one of the researchers who actually, you know, maybe the water. So we hear the water is bad. And if you knew the water was bad, you wouldn't drink it. Right. Right. So why are they drinking? Why would they drink the water? And especially if they are doing all the science, would they not know their water is bad? Therefore, I'm leaning towards one of two people actively like poisoning them as mm. like revenge for what's happening, basically. Okay. Um, so and you mean. By poisoning that you mean poisoning the researchers? Are you thinking like the the mine protesters? Are you thinking? Yeah, so I have two. I have two thing. Two places I could go. One is okay. I think it's it could be a whistleblower. So an art. So the person who writes "We Are All mm. Dead" is the person who's basically saying like we're here to do climate, you know, expert and solve climate change and, and like discover what's happening. And here we are taking money from a mine that's actively polluting um, the water. So I do think that the water being bad in the town is like the mine causes the water to be bad or, you know, whatever other yeah. thing. And then this idea that somebody is like, if you're going to poison our water, I'll poison your water. And so yeah. that's it. So a whistleblower. So either one of the eight researchers, not, not Anders, not Raymond. If you want me to name one of them, I can be very specific. Um, no, I don't think it has to be specific in that way. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think yeah. it's again, it's like, yeah. what are you not going to get points if, oh, you say Ralph and it turns out to be Lucas? Like, no, yeah. that's yeah, silly. Yeah. So I, I'll go with whistleblower, but the, yeah, the other people is like mine protesters. The only, the only reason I say there's two reasons why I say that. One is I definitely could see something of like, Danvers being in this dilemma of being like this person caused this thing. Maybe it wasn't even intentioned to be as harmful as it ended up being. So, uh, um, like an indigenous, like um, an indigenous woman 
protesting, saying we are all dead, poison, whatever, um, causing them to go out like, well, I didn't think they would go and fall in the water and die and freeze. Yeah. And Danvers having to sort of like struggle with like the system always hurts indigenous women. And now there's an indigenous woman who needs, you know, I could see that. But the other piece of why I'm going to go with the whistleblower side is like, I almost don't know if we're going to get into that. Like, you know, let it be sort of its own little internal. Although that does make like one of the whistleblowers seem like maybe a white savior. So I, you know, I don't know, but I'll, that's what I'll go with. To, to, to lock in. Yeah. Potentially six points if I think it's a whistleblower blower poisoning the rest of the Arctic researchers. Yeah. Incredible. Um, if you want to, we won't really have a way to track this really well, but if you want to play along with us, tweet us uh, your your best prediction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we'll see at the end of the season if I uh, try to go back. I'll, I'll try to track it as best as possible. Um, and if you change it in future weeks, we'll have a mechanism for you to be able to say that you're changing it. You can either tweet at us or send us an email like Grace Post Recaps or Jess Post Recaps, or you could let us know in the Discord, and I'll try to keep track of that. Um, yeah. All yeah, right, I'm I'm no. really impressed by this first episode. I have to say, Grease, I'm really excited for what we're gonna get. Obviously, it's like it's a little it, because I'm so excited about the season. My first thought was like, oh, it's shorter than the rest of the seasons. That kind of yeah. stinks. However, if it is like a really well told story that only needs six episodes, then it only needs six episodes, and I'm happy to be here along the ride for all six. I just yeah. thought it was the acting was superb. The the scene setting this did give me. I, I'm very curious to listen to Mike and Latanya this week on the Versus podcast because I felt like both season one and season four excelled at setting the scene and putting you in the vibe of like what this show is for this season. So I'm really interested to hear their thoughts on pitting those against each other. Cause I was like immediately, immediately all in on night country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that should be very fun to listen. And, and as I said, Amanda and I will be live after the episode. Well, we will, there will be a podcast that drops and a video that drops immediately after the episode um, is over. We'll be live for the finale on YouTube. If you want to come hang out with us for like a watch party after the live finale. So check that out. And yeah, just we'll be back each week, hopefully with some guests along, along the way. Yeah. In the meantime, what else do you got going on and where can people find you? Uh, you can hear me on Full Spoiler Recaps here with Grace every week talking about a new season of a show. Uh, this upcoming week, we're going to be talking about Slow Horses Season 3, if you want to check that out. Um, beyond that, you can hear me on Shit 90 Shows Taught Me. Currently, we are podcasting about Felicity on uh, Mondays. Or excuse me. Felicity comes out on Mondays. Buffy comes out on Thursdays. So we just started our Buffy journey. It's been really fun. Um, it's really interesting knowing that like Twilight has these like really pretty mm. vampires that like glitter. And Buffy is like, what if we made them ugly? Oh, I've um, never seen I didn't know that. I've never seen they, they They basically like Grace. They can, they can look human if they yeah. need to. But mm. when they put their fangs out, they get this like, you know, mm. the guy from Star Trek that has the prosthetic stuff all over yes. his head. Yes. Kind of looks like that. Fun. Just forehead, just above the eye oh. forehead area. Fun. Um, so anyway, that's been a ton of fun. Check that out yeah. at Shit Nineties Pod, and you can find me at the Jess Sterling. Fargo wraps up this week with its finale. So uh, Mike Bloom, Latanya, and I should be chatting about that. Uh Ariel and I are chatting movies each week. We chat about the Mean Girls musical this week, which I think we both thought was like, eh, fu- okay. All right. They did it. They made it. Uh, the curse. Uh, we're going to have a feedback show this week with a very special guest. So check that out. And yeah, I'm on social media at hi from grace. We'll be back next week uh, with more. Traditions. Make sure to subscribe. Postrecaps.com slash true detective. You can watch us on YouTube. YouTube.com slash postshowrecaps. We'll be back next week. Until then. Bye bye.